Broadcasting live from the Prime Meridian Bank Studios in the capital city of Tallahassee, this is The Front Row with Tom Block and Keith Jones. Brought to you by Cornerstone Tool and Fastener. Online at ctf.nu. Here's Tom and Keith. Hello again, everybody. Welcome to The Front Row. Tom Block, Keith Jones with you. It is March, KJ. The first. Which means March Madness. Has begun. So as we start this discussion, I want to bring some perspective in because when the basketballs were rolled out at the start of the year, Mm -hmm. there was great question and anticipation as to whether or not FSU would be a participant in March Madness. Mm -hmm. They are going to be a participant in March Madness. Not only that, they still have a chance to be a really high seed. So let's use that as the framework for this as FSU has one more game to go against Miami. They also have no more true road games to go this year. Yeehaw! We're done with that. Neutral site. Neutral site. Neutral neutral site. site. Neutral site. Not only that, but the ACC tournaments, as we talked about last week, really a neutral site compared to the home court edge that is normally is. And a place they've already been. And the NCAA tournament will be even more neutral than normal for Carolina and Duke since they can't play in the state of North Carolina. In a place I've not been. There you go. So, all that said, you were at Cameron Indoor last night. Let's frame this. You've called games there for 20 years. If you've ever been there, it's amazing. Uh, you know, you see it on TV. When you when you go there, if you visit the arena, I mean, it's just tiny. I mean, it, it's really, really small. You and Gene are up in the rafters calling the game. It was senior night, so I'm curious, first of all, did the atmosphere seem any different than any other trip to Duke in previous years? I, I would tell you it didn't seem any different. That being said, it's because the atmosphere is so consistent at Cameron Indoor. It was their, what, 452nd consecutive sellout. You know, as soon as the doors open, the kids start scrambling. If you watched it on TV, they're right in the picture on every shot uh, on the opposite side of where the teams sit. They never sit down. They can't. There's no seats. Uh, there's literally no seats. They're they're standing uh, boards, uh, standing room only. I didn't think it was any different. I thought it was as consistent as it's ever been, which is loud, uh, very, very uh, intuitive, smart crowd. Uh, it, it was just like I expected Cameron to be. The one thing I didn't expect is for us to go one for ten from the floor with our bigs, and we missed every available opportunity from a, a lay it over the rim to dunk it to use the glass. Uh, any type of layup you want to call. Uh, Florida State took advantage of, of Duke's defense, got it inside, and, and the bigs either couldn't, wouldn't, or didn't finish. And that's huge because Florida State, even in a game where the bigs play well, is not a team that has had great bigs historically. But that, that's why Florida State beat Duke by double digits in Tallahassee. They right. outscored them in the paint, 58-28, to 28, I think. Well, you need to have the balance. But I'm just, I'm just suggesting Florida State, it's been a long time. I don't know when's the last post that Florida State had that was going to be a twenty and ten guy. That's that's not the way. But uh, you know, I, I mean, the points have come from the perimeter typically. But you have to have inside out game, and so when you have inside looks and you're just missing them point blank, that's not a recipe to win. And Duke was playing shorthanded. Uh, uh, Jefferson was a little bit hobbled, though he played the majority of the game. Uh, Grayson Allen only played sixteen minutes with his ankle. Um, Duke only shot in the thirties, I think, in the first half. So they were they were trying to be hospitable host, uh, and Florida State just couldn't find a way to take advantage of it. Uh, as you and I were talking before we came on the air, the one redeeming quality, and there are no moral victories in the ACC. Coach Hamilton will make sure he points that out. But, you know, one time in that second half, they were down by 19. And to end up with a final margin of five, you know, at least they showed some grit and some determination. Uh, I'll, uh, In lack of the fact that there's no victory, I'll take that as a moral victory. And let's not discount that they did win on the road at Clemson prior to going to Duke, and that Duke, oh, by the way, was preseason number one and has seven consensus five stars on the roster. Florida State has, what, two? Maybe. In in Bacon and, and Jonathan Isaac. Uh, and if you're going to concede that Duke was not at full strength with the guys you mentioned, we need to point out that Florida State wasn't either because Dwayne Bacon was pretty under the weather. It wasn't really talked about, but he was fairly sick yesterday. Wasn't talked about on television broadcast. We, we, I think Gene made one mention of it on the radio side last night, but he he, he was not feeling well. 
Um, and so we'll we'll have to. I, I don't know how. I don't know what feeling not feeling well the degree he was. I don't know if he was at a two or a nine, but he certainly wasn't at a hundred percent. And you got to believe if he was ailing, there were some others that's either on the tail end of it or the front end of it, which doesn't necessarily bode well as you get ready for New York. But that being the case, uh, you got to play through those things. Uh, I remember one. What was his name? I think it was Michael. Michael Jordan. Is that, is that that ring a bell? That kind of played a significant ball game one time when he wasn't feeling well or something. Somewhere in the back of my mind. Well, let and let's be fair. I, I, you know, this isn't something Leonard or Dwayne brought out. This is something we're pointing out because you travel with the team and you're aware that he was under the weather. Um, and before there's the ACC tournament, there's a pretty big game against Miami at four o'clock on Saturday. And I didn't read through all the tiebreakers today, but if FSU wins that, does that guarantee a top four? Or do we still have to? I, I think they might need help from somebody, but but there's so many teams. There's six teams that can still go, you know, dumb statement, one through six. And Leonard talked about that in his pregame comments with Gene last night, that, you know, if if things worked out wrongly, Florida State could go from a two seed to a six seed. Now, I haven't studied because it's quite extensive, uh, the the, the, um, uh, tiebreakers, but I I think Florida State is okay if they win against Miami. I'm pretty sure of that. I think they might be okay even if they lose to Miami. Depending on what happens. Depending on other people. But certainly taking care of the hurricane game uh, would eliminate that uh, as a possibility. Well, obviously the the double bye is ideal because if you can go there, you get your quarterfinal game is against somebody who just played the day before. And if you win one game – Or possibly two days before. And one day before. Exactly. Meaning two games. But if you you get the double bye and you win one game, you're in the semifinals which sort of uh, cements the fact that you were in the top four to begin with over the course of the year. But more than that, I I think where it's – and it's not that one automatically would lead to the other, but if you're a top four seed in the ACC, I I feel pretty confident you'd be a top four seed in the NCAA. I mean, FSU has nine top 50 wins, and to me that one's the more important one because you would end up in Orlando. And given the the struggles on the road, I think it would be good for this team to play a couple games where they'd have – more friendly folks rather than enemies. And I'm wondering whether consciously or unconsciously, because none of these kids have played in the NCAA tournament, okay? Ojo, I think, technically played as a freshman, but he wasn't playing much as a freshman. Now being a fifth-year senior, they've been four years without going. But having said that, what I'm concerned about, what I'm curious about, is the fact that you're, will say, a lock for the NCAA tournament, which Florida State has not been, a lot of in its in its Leonard Hamilton era. Does that change the coaching staff's philosophy, approach? Does that in any way impact how you prepare for the ACC conference tournament? And I don't know the answer to that. I guess we'll just have to witness the answer to that. It's going to be interesting. And you did mention that Florida State has played there before. We were up there over Thanksgiving. They played in this arena. For whatever that's worth, the, uh, the venue will be – uh, it's an NBA arena. The venue will be familiar, and uh, it certainly won't be a home court edge for one side or the other. I do think there'll be much more of an atmosphere in there than there was at Thanksgiving when it was pretty empty. And, and let's be fair, it'll probably still be predominantly Carolina-oriented, but not 80-20. Or Duke with its national brand. Yeah. yeah. Let me ask you this. On the bigger question, uh, we don't need to dissect last night's game so much. I mean, in a nutshell, the bigs didn't play well. X continued to play consistent. Uh, Bacon was a non-factor really until the last five or seven but minutes. But he did game. come on. He scored, what, 13 points in the last and, seven minutes? And Isaac was what Isaac is, which is to say he's a tremendous talent, but there's times where he's just passive still, and it feels like he could score more points. But here, here's what I wanted to ask. So you, if you look at the big three for Florida State in Isaac, Bacon, and XRM, is there any chance that one of those three is back next year? I'm beginning to wonder out loud, internally at first, out loud, I don't think there's any chance that Bacon or Isaac come back. I think that's a done deal because they're both projected first day. Uh, Isaac's projected by some as a lottery pick. I'm wondering what XRM does. You've seen the improvement that he's made in his ball handling and his defensive skills. He's not on anybody's projection to be drafted. You look at the prognosticators; they don't have XRM going. In the you know, remember the NBA only has two rounds, right? I'm and only the first round is guaranteed exactly. money. I'm wondering if, if he makes continued progress one more year, does he not play himself into a first or second round pick if he comes back? And recall 
harsh as it sounds, in the beginning of the season, I'm not sure you and I wanted him to come back. His attitude change, his adjustment to his new role, just the way he carries himself uh, is so much better this year. He's enjoying playing basketball at Florida State and is getting better at it every game. Maybe, just maybe, he is best served to come back another year. It'll be an interesting decision for him because the flip side would be he's already been here four years even though he played three and maybe thinks it's time to go get paid even if that means Europe where he could make quite a nice living. Isaac is going to go. Isaac's a lottery pick. And to me the question is where does Dwayne Bacon go? Because I'm not convinced he's a sure bet first rounder anymore. See, And so then you get into if you come out and you're a second rounder, you got to make the team yeah. to get some guaranteed money. Here's what we might not be thinking, though, you and I, because we're here in in Forest for the Trees. We're looking at his performance this year. The NBA doesn't give a rat's ass about his performance this year. They're only interested in potential. I think that's a fair point. I also think that if you look at what Bacon and Isaac are, Florida State and its fans are longing for a clear-cut alpha dog number one. Who's the Jameis Winston on this team that wants the ball and is going to put it in? And those guys at the next level are a third, fourth, or fifth option, but they're NBA players. I mean, Jonathan Isaac, even as a lottery pick, is not going to be the top option on the team that he goes to. And, and again, not a criticism, but a statement of fact. The NBA doesn't look at Leonard's offensive system as being anything unique or great. And every one of the NBA clubs thinks they can take a kid with potential and make him that much better when they get into the NBA system. It will be interesting. It just feels, and I I didn't compare the numbers, it feels like it was a similar point in last year's season when it was Bacon and Beasley where the freshmen started to wear down and Bacon wasn't quite as productive or key, and it feels like that's repeated itself the last couple games. Now, to be fair, I'd have to go back and look at the game by game and and truly assess that. I do think he's a tremendous talent, and, and here, Isaac are not guys that have any baggage with him. They just aren't necessarily the most vocal, outgoing guys. Uh, you know, Isaac, we've talked about, has sort of a Charlie Ward demeanor to him. And Bacon seems a little more introverted, where when things aren't going well, he, he that body language shows. And it's not that he's a bad guy, but he's just self-reflecting oh, maybe a little too much. And he's let's remember, he's 19, 20 years old. I mean, he's still a baby in the real world. We're just making him an old man and, and trying to make him a superstar in the college world. I don't know if it would be X or Bacon. I would say that I think there's a better chance now than I would have forecast at any point during the season, that maybe one out of those three guys is back next year. But who knows? It'll be interesting. We still have a March that matters uh, coming up. Uh, it matters so much, in fact, that we're going to get our Seminoles.com insider, Tim Linnefeld, on the horn. Not that we wouldn't have done that anyway. He, he would hunt us down if we didn't. So we'll see what we're going to do with his walk-up music. There's no more true road games. Maybe we'll just go without music. I don't know what to do. We'll how, about get if, how about if I sing? No, we're not doing that. But we will have Tim join us when we come back in the front row. The Front Row with Tom Block and Keith Jones is presented by Hobson Chevrolet of Cairo, Georgia. Get your best deal the Hobson way. Here's Tom and Keith. We are back on the Front Row. Once again, we didn't consult our Seminoles.com insider, Tim Linnefeld. We just continue to be a revolving door genre. We're changing songs left and right, but... Tim, this one has double meaning. Number one, Florida State will be playing in its house on Saturday, which is a good thing. Number two, this is the group Madness. And for all of the talk about Florida State struggles on the road of late, the calendar says March, which means March Madness. And Florida State is going to be a participant in the Madness this year. So let's start the conversation on a positive note. What do you think? Uh, yeah, I'm all in favor. Let's do it. Let's do it. Well, that was the positive part. Keith, oh, weigh okay. in. What else do we have positive here? Well, <laughs> that was a short segment. Can hey, any, thanks for joining us, Tim. Can, we'll talk to you again next can week. Can anybody over six foot ten make a layup in Cameron Indoor? Uh, that's, a, that's a good question, and uh, unfortunately, it'll it'll be at least another year before we find out for sure. Uh, it, it, that question, it wasn't answered well last night, or, or maybe it was. Uh, and Keith, you were there. We were both there. And, you know, what I thought was interesting about that, if we do want to talk about the game, is, you know, for the last – However long, I mean, a month, if not more, uh, Leonard Hamilton has talked about how much he wants to get his post 
involved, get the big guys uh, in the mix offensively and sort of let the offense run through them, either let them finish at the basket uh, if they can or kick it out to shooters at the perimeter. Uh, if it's not there, well, last night against Duke, Duke was giving up the, the post entries, uh, and the guys were getting pretty good looks at it. Uh, they just The shots weren't falling, and, and Florida State had some trouble on the glass in the first half. So when you're missing you know, layups near the basket, Duke's getting, off in, or getting defensive rebounds, getting out in transitions, and that's how – uh, you know, what was a, a one-point game uh, 12 minutes into the first half, uh, all of a sudden it's a 15-point game a few minutes later. That's, uh, that's how it happens. That said, as we look back, Tim, I feel like the game that caused people the most angst was the, was the road game at Pitt. I mean, if you ended up winning that, I think most people probably expected a loss last night playing at Duke on senior night with what they have. And, and regardless, even with Pitt factored in, you're still playing for a, a top-four seed against Miami on Saturday. We... The expectations just get reset along the way, you know. When you when you shellac Clemson on Super Bowl Sunday, all of a sudden everybody ratchets up what their expectations are. This is still a pretty doggone good basketball team, and and it doesn't have to play any more road games now. Exactly right, and and look, you know, Duke uh, Duke had to have a win last night. They had lost two straight games. They were fighting for for their own seating and and, and all that moving forward. And like you said, it was senior night, and and I still think that there might have been an element of of them wanting to, to kind of get back at Florida State for what was a, a pretty lopsided game uh, in Tallahassee. And, and, you know, every time that happens, you want to try to return the favor, especially on your home floor. So Florida State had a lot working against it last night. So I, the one thing I'll say, and, and it, it doesn't count for much in the, on the, in the standings or anything like that, but, but the effort uh, and the intensity for really from both sides uh, was, was outstanding for, for the entire game. I Florida State played really, really hard. I thought the defense played well, especially early early on in the first half. And you know, the fact of the matter is, you know, Duke's really, really good. Uh, you know, Frank Jackson's a former McDonald's All-American who usually comes off the bench for them. Well, Grayson Allen's limited uh, with an ankle injury, so this kid comes off the bench and starts just draining shots right and left like it's nothing. Uh, and that's kind of what they have. And as, as good as this Florida State roster is, and it, it, it is very good uh, from a, the, the perspective of depth of talent. Uh, you know, the guys that they have coming off the bench or are able to step in and, and, and make a start when somebody gets injured. Uh, there's not too many teams or programs in the country that can match what Duke has in that area. So when you factor that uh, along with playing at home, senior night, all that kind of stuff, uh, it was a pretty steep hill to climb for Florida State. All right, well, that one's gone, gone and, uh, and can't be recovered. We'll go back and look at the tape and maybe learn something from it. Moving forward, we've got Miami coming in on Saturday. Can I go one more on Duke real quick? Uh, yes, you may, Mr. Block. I'm going to interrupt. You mentioned Grayson Allen and that ankle thing. The ankle was was bothering him so much that he uh, he almost appeared to trip over XRM. What did you make of that play? Did you see the replay on that? I don't know if you saw that live, but uh, it didn't appear that there was much contact there as he feigned being tripped by XRM. No, it's funny because I, I didn't have a very good angle on it from, from where I sat. Um, I think I was working on a, a tweet or something like that, which uh, serves me right. So I didn't see – I didn't really have a good look at the play. Uh, and obviously people were kind of losing their minds over it in the moment. But then, yeah, I think when we were, we were getting on the airport last uh, or this morning, I guess it was, uh, I saw the, the, the clip of the, uh, of, of the play, and, I'm, I mean, you know, I don't know how to say it other than it's, I mean, it's a dive. <laughs> you, you, can, you can see the clip. There's no uh Well, you're, no a soccer, you're a soccer fan, so you would be familiar with a dive. No, no, for sure. Well, usually in soccer there, there is contact, and then you just embellish to the degree – that the contact affected you. In this case, I'm not sure there was contact at all, and you can actually see the uh, the little hop he takes to to, uh, to hit the floor. So, uh, you know, look, that's that's a that's a, a weird space, but I, I don't I don't know how else to uh, to to describe it. That's that's just what it was. Now the floor is yours, KJ. Thank you very much, Mr. Block. Moving ahead and looking at Miami coming in on Saturday, have you done the tiebreakers at all, Tim? I got I got dizzy. I read three pages of them, and I, my head started hurting. Uh, if Florida State wins, where are they? If they lose to Miami, what has to? I mean, can they fall out of the the double bye? Becomes the question. Uh, if if they lose, then then they can. I think if they win, then I think the worst they can do with a win is a three seed. Okay. But you're right. The, uh, the 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 math, the math does uh, does make your head hurt, and I'm not really a math guy. But if they lose to Miami, then I think Duke or Carolina beat needs to beat Duke. And I'm not sure what else has to happen. Sorry, I should be a little more prepared for this with my uh, my spreadsheets, but I don't have them ready yet. But uh, to make it simple, beat Miami and you're good. Hey, beat Miami, you don't have to worry about it. Well, right. the Noles are 17 and 0 at home, and it's kind of ironic. Thinking back to that second half against Miami, that's maybe the best stretch the Bigs had, wasn't it? In turn, or just the offense overall, 
at Miami in that game, which sort of gets discounted when we talk about Florida State Road was, but now it's going to follow up that disaster that was layup line and, last and night. only because i know he knows the answer mr linnefelt when was the last time florida state was undefeated at home for an entire season 1975 76 found that out uh last night thanks to uh sports information guru chuck walsh yeah i know because you uh, yelled it in my ear oh did he really <laughs> chuck, chuck tim go talk to him don't yell at him well, you know, they were they were getting down to the uh to the you know, the nitty gritty of don't stand up and all that. So I was trying to, to make it happen uh discreetly. But then you know, you're on an airplane, the the uh you know, noises and sounds are kinda amplified or, or not. It's it's a weird little uh little area there. I'm sorry, but but you know, and then and you were uh, you got some education out of there it. There you go. Thing. There you go. All right, let's switch sports then. Uh basketball plays four o'clock on Saturday against Miami. The women's basketball team uh lost at Notre Dame the other night. Uh, to be fair, Notre Dame's really good. Florida State, if you if you tally up the wins, has been the second best team in the league the last uh, three years, I think, since Notre Dame entered. And Shaquilla Thomas was not 100%. We do know now that uh, Shaquilla and Leticia Romero are both first-team All-ACC players. We also know FSU has the unenviable task of facing a team that they've uh, already defeated twice in the tournament on Friday, which did not work out well last year. So what's your thoughts, Tim? Uh, well, you know, we'll see. Uh, i I think for from Florida State's perspective, I still think that your uh, your your top priority is making sure that everybody is healthy uh, and where they need to be uh, for the uh, the NCAA tournament. Uh, a, a deep run up uh, up there would be nice, and and you know certainly would would be a nice feather in the cap. But I think given what they have and and what they uh, what their what their goals are, and I think their goals are still the same, uh, you know, Final Four and, and potentially beyond. Uh, you, you need to have everybody healthy for that, so I think that's going to be the number one priority. And if they can, you know, win a few games up there, and make a run at it, uh, even better. Coach Sue's going to join us a little bit later in the show, so we'll save uh, most of the uh, women's hoops talk for that. Uh, big picture, I, I'm going to ask this open ended because I'm not sure what sports you've seen as much lately. But softball played out west and wound up uh, number one still. I mean, they were number one last week, but played out west and kept that number one ranking. The women's golf team has won another tournament. The track teams both finished third at the ACC indoors, which is not insignificant because FSU's track program is not built to be an indoor team. And I know there's a lot of thought that that that, uh, women's track team could be a top five team outdoors. So I'll sort of stop there as we continue our conversation here on the Earl Bacon Agency Hotline. Yeah, no, uh, you kind of hit it from, I think, from a a big picture perspective. And it just continues what has been the case for for really a while now. And and, and I know uh, people might roll their eyes when, when you hear stuff like this, but it's, it's a pretty good time to be a Florida State fan, and uh, there's a lot of programs doing a lot of really good things. Obviously, men's and women's basketball and baseball are getting a lot of the attention, but if you haven't seen the softball team yet, you really should, uh, if you can, get out there this weekend. They open ACC play uh, at home uh, this this weekend, and uh, they're a lot of fun to watch. Again, a number one ranked team uh, in the country. That's never a bad thing, no matter what the sport is, uh, so they're a lot of fun. The golf team, it's really women's golf remarkable what they've been able to do and, and build in a really short amount of time. It wasn't, wasn't all that long ago, two, three years, that they were sort of, uh, you know, uh, uh, I don't want to say second or third tier, but they were sort of hovering around the bottom of the top 25 and, and, and trying to, to break through. And now a few years later, they're, you know, maybe the odds-on favorite for a national champion championship. Uh, and they, they, they certainly haven't found anybody that's been able to beat them so far. So uh, a, a lot of fun, uh, really, uh, across the board in, in the spring sports and a lot of the women's sports, they're, they're doing really, really well. Everybody knows. Uh, the, the women's basketball team uh, has set the standard that they have, and in the fall, the soccer team uh, is right up there too. But it, but it's not just them; it's uh, just about everybody on campus right now is competing uh, at the highest level. Tim, I got a broader sort of ACC question as we wrap things up. We're going to go into two conference tournaments here. Neither one of them is in the state of North Carolina, and that's because of HB two. Whenever HB two gets changed, assuming it does, and the doors are open for the ACC to play conference championships back in the state of North Carolina, do you think they will all return, or do you think this idea that now we've moved conference championships around and that there's enough outside the Tobacco Road influence in those ACC meetings, we might actually get to a situation where there's a little bit more balance on where those championships are contested? I think there will be some balance, especially. Uh, you know, I think a lot of it depends on. How they how things go? You know, how how's the women's basketball tournament going to go this weekend in, in in Myrtle Beach? Is there good attendance? Is there good interest? Uh, you know, on and on and on. Um, you know, how's how's baseball do in Louisville in a, in a few weeks? Because you know, a lot of those places that, that, that the tournament can move to, um, they're they're still within sort of that 
you know, that sort of cluster region of, of uh, sort of midway between Boston and Miami, if you will. And I think if they're successful, then, then you might see them uh, see them go more uh, more often to those types of places. Now, I do think, look, when, once the ACC moves back into North Carolina, and, and I'm kind of like you, I think that's going to happen eventually, although I'll admit that given uh, given everything that's happened to this point, not just uh, with, with college athletics, but also with professional athletics pulling you know, their events out of North Carolina, uh, I mean, I'm assuming that it's going to happen at some point, but it hasn't happened yet. So, uh, so that, to me, says something. Uh, but I do think it'll, it'll get back there uh, eventually. You're going to see... Certainly, men's basketball tournaments in North Carolina. I don't know that, that they can stand to have it go too far away for too long. Uh, but yeah, it's, it's definitely a good thing, and, and I, I, I suspect that the tournaments will be successful. And I, and I also think that the ACC will uh, will expand its horizons a little bit. And that's that's not just an ACC thing. You know, I think you see a, a lot of conferences trying to move around and expand their brands uh, a little bit, if you will. You know, the uh, the Big Ten tournaments taking place in Washington D.C. this year, which just feels kind of. Uh, Feels a little bit unnatural, but in a way, you know, you, you understand what they're trying to do, and I, I think the ACC is part of that wave as well. Tim, great job as always. Uh, thank you for joining us on the uh, Earl Bacon Agency. But don't hang up. Don't together. hang up. Stay on the line, Tim. Okay. We 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 not only got you new walk up music, we got you some walk off music. This is in oh, preparation boy. for heading to Brooklyn, and it once again shows how versatile we are here as we change genres once more. Uh, we'll talk to you next week, Tim. All right, guys. Thank you. Start spreading the news I'm leaving today I want to be a part of it New York, New York The Front Row is brought to you by Cornerstone Tool and Fastener Two locations to choose from 1110 Stuckey Avenue and 3269 Crawfordville Highway Call them at 580-1200 or online at ctf.nu Now, here's Tom and Keith Welcome back to the front row. We're going to talk a little bit about Dalvin Cook, uh, as we should this segment. But I do need to point out that uh, our friends at Centrale uh, are up to their old tricks again. They have uh, wind up Friday night, which is a pretty clever... W-I-N-E-D. Yes, you were you were smart enough to uh, to ascertain that there was an E in there. It wasn't just wind. I, I, I read the copy. Okay, well, I was trying to give you credit, so you weren't smart enough to figure it out. There's also an Oysters and Champagne event uh, this Sunday at Centrale. Uh, I encourage you to head over there. I was One thing, I, I, it's been a little bit since we talked about it. I was at Madison Social on Monday for a farewell uh, soiree. Uh, Shindig I, I participated. For, for one, Jonathan Chalice. Yes, you and Gene uh, FaceTimed in, and Chalice appreciated that. Uh, if you're not aware, if you haven't been down to, to Madison Street of late in the college town area, uh, you can get an app on your phone to handle the parking situation, which it's called the Park By app, and it works very well. Is that an appetizer? You get two for you one? You have to get a oh. cell phone first to make – no, you do have a cell phone. I'll give you that credit. No, the bottom line is you can feed the meter from your phone, and then when you're inside said establishment, it counts down and an alarm sounds if you're expired, and you can quickly hit a button, and you can extend your time without walking out to your car to feed the meter. Where, where do I put a quarter this is not good. in this machine? Yeah, this is not good radio. I'll show you how to slide a quarter into your iPhone when we finish this segment. Okay. Dalvin Cook, I didn't know this was coming. Maybe Florida State knew it was coming. I don't know, but it was a pretty heartfelt letter that uh, he wrote thanking lots of people at FSU, lots of them behind-the-scenes folks that people, don't normally— People you wouldn't recognize the name, and probably you still don't know who they are. Yeah, I thought it was a nice gesture, and it speaks to the relationship that Jimbo has with his players because he did single out Jimbo in there, and just sort of the family atmosphere that goes with the program, which is a big part of what Jimbo sells. He talks players first all the time. You know, aside from social and, and, and economic and, and physiological and, you know, things that have changed over the 40 years since I was fortunate enough to play at Florida State, bigger, faster, stronger, uh, you know, shift from, uh, you know, uh, rural to more urban type environments, um, you know, the, the nuclear family changes that we've seen over the last uh, 20 or 30 years. The biggest thing that's happened in college football and I don't know that I've come down on whether it's positive or negative. I just think it's a fact. Is the relationship between a player and the head coach has changed in two ways. 
Number one, I, I really didn't have a close relationship with Coach Bowden when I was playing for him because I never really had the opportunity to talk to him. Yeah, not meaning it was a bad relationship. No, just it's just meaning, yeah. my, my contact was my segment coach. Right. And secondly, and maybe as a result of that, Coach Bowden was much more of a father figure and, and certainly arguably in his latter years to other kids, a grandfather figure. Whereas today the head coach is kind of like that favorite uncle or even big brother, not not necessarily the fatherly type, but that 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 uh, way younger brother of your of your dad, or 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 you know that older brother that that you know is eight or ten years older than you are, and and I don't know that that's a significant change, but I do think that's a subtle change, and it was clearly indic- indicated and and reflected in Dalvin's comments about Coach Fisher. Now let's not minimize what he wrote because i think that's heartfelt do you think it was calculated in that the nfl combine starts today and dalvin is a guy who though he was not arrested he was he was well he was acquitted i beg your pardon he was not charged he was acquitted on charges uh he was charged he was charged but he was acquitted yes thank you um do you think it was calculated do you think it was prompted by an agent do you think there's a reason that that hits the week that the combine starts i i don't care well, that's I mean, what I, I said mean, originally. My point is, yeah. and my point is, that letter was so genuine that if it had been contrived and not genuine, I think that would have been reflective. So even if it was contrived, because it was so genuine, it was the honest message. I don't have a problem with it. And that said, I think Dalvin will do fine in terms of his interviews. Obviously, physically, he's going to be fine at the. Uh, I mean, he's just a freak of a of an athlete. I mean, he was fun to watch. Uh, it will be sort of interesting when they poke and prod and they look back because he had shoulder surgery at one point and, you know, all the potential character things. The, get the hamstring up. problem. Yeah, it's the underwear Olympics is what we have going on for the next five days, really. But uh, I, I wish him the best. I mean, my dealings with him were always terrific. To be fair, none of us in the media – uh, even if you're talking about, you know, the War Chanter, Tomahawk Nation guys that are out there every day more frequently than you are, nobody really knows these guys unless you're in the program. So, I mean, you get a feel that, yeah, this guy's easy to deal with. He's polite to me. I appreciate that. That doesn't mean one way or the other whether he's a good kid or not. We, other, we just don't know. Other, and I'm not, I'm not trying to raise suspicion about Dalvin because I don't think that at either. My dealing uh, at all, my dealing. Well, the great. other part of it is, is most of us, the vast majority of us, have absolutely no appreciation for for what and where a Dalvin Cook came. You know, I I, I grew up a, a Leroy Butler fan, and I, I remember the the story that that was told about Leroy would not let Coach Bowden come to his house or come into his his apartment community because it was too dangerous. Right, that he met Coach Bowden out away from it on the street corner at a gas station. And I remember you know, supposedly there's a story one night where Leroy had Dion come and spend the night with him, and there were shots, you know, right gunshots, out. and Dion raised up in bed, and Leroy told him to lay back down because when you raise up in bed, you're in view of the window and you might get shot. Lay back down. And and we we just can't fathom that. and But yet that's some of the environment from which these kids come from. Uh, that we don't get an opportunity, and frankly, don't I, I don't want to be exposed to. I, I want to be ignorant and sheltered, and and just love on them for once they get here. I want to. Uh, I don't know if we talked about this or not. I think we might have talked about it briefly, but we're going to get Corey Simon on the show in a couple weeks here as we lead up to the draft, because I've, I see these draft projections. There, it's going to take me a little while to get here, and several of them have Cleveland taken Dalvin, and and not not at the top, but like their twelfth pick or whatever it is. And, you know, I had, I had tweeted one day that, uh, and this is sort of the fan's point of view, I'd rather see Dalvin go lower in the first round because you end up on a better team. You're not going to get beat up as much. And Corey weighed in right away to say that is absolutely 100% wrong. You need to go as high as you can go and get the fattest, biggest contract you can get because the reality is you may not play more than a game in this league. You don't know what's going to happen. Well, it's so and, physical. But and, but Corey will give us good perspective on the way the contracts and, are structured. And Corey comes from even a different environment because under the new CBA, the rookie scale, and I don't know if our fans have really processed this, but you sign a basically a five-year agreement 
in Corey's day, it was a three- or four-year agreement. So you're, lo- quote, unquote, losing another year or two before you can negotiate that first non-scripted, non-slotted contract. And, and, and so Corey is obviously uh, absolutely correct and in, 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 in how you're not going to have a long career on average in the NFL. You and I were talking, uh, what, last week or the week before, you know, we, we stay amazed at, at Brad Johnson. He played 17 years in the league by our count. I don't know what the exact, per, exact count was, but 17 years. That just doesn't happen. No. It's, it's just not a reality. Unless you're Tom Brady. Well, and then he, you have he the may super, play twenty seven. Then you have the supermodel wife at home too, right? Well, in a house with a moat. Have you ever had a house with a moat? No, Did, I had one one time, but it wasn't on purpose. I was trying to think of something witty, and that's about where I was headed. I, I, you know, I was spreading, any moats I was, around my house have not been intentional. I was spreading <laughs> sand with a bobcat, and I ruptured the 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 uh, 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 water line, water main, and flooded my front yard. But that's a story for another day. Well, not really, because you just shared it, so it was a story for today. We're going to talk women's basketball when we come back with Coach Sue Semrau. Stay with us on the front row. The Front Row with Tom Block and Keith Jones is presented by Hobson Chevrolet of Cairo, Georgia. Get your best deal the Hobson way. Here's Tom and Keith. Welcome back to the front row as we welcome our next guest on the Earl Bacon Agency Hotline. I feel like last time we had her on, it was in the same segment because I don't think that was her favorite song that we just played. But Coach Sue, how are you? (laughs) (laughs) I I think we discussed that last time. Sue, I know you... Banjos aren't the best. Yeah. You know. (laughs) <laughs> well, next time we have you on, we will coordinate better, and, and we'll do better. We'll, do, we'll better do better, and we'll take requests <laughs> and whatever you want to bring with you. We'll just we'll play that, Coach. <laughs> thanks for a few minutes. I know you're uh, you know you're headed to Myrtle Beach, and maybe that's a starting point there. Uh, the the ACC Women's Tournament has been in Greensboro forever and a day, and it's political reasons that it's not there. But I'm just going to guess that if you're not one of the Carolina schools, and you're not, you probably are going to be appreciative of being outside of the state of Carolina this time around. What's your What's your thoughts on playing in Myrtle Beach? Well, I'm kind of excited about it. You know, we haven't won a championship in Greensboro, so kind of you know you go back there and you get the same feel year in and year out. Where you know the men have moved their tournament uh, to different sites, we've we've stayed in Greensboro, and I think it'll give us a new outlook. Uh, an opportunity for for a fresh start as we enter conference tournament. Do you think after the fact, when these discussions are held, assuming that HB two uh, goes away at some point, do you think the women's tournament would just go back to Greensboro, or would there be legitimate discussions about moving it around like the men have done? No, I think uh, there's there's no chance that it won't just stay in Greensboro. We have a contract through um, I don't know how long, but it's a long time, and um, and there's some great things about having it at the same location because you can build a fan base. Uh, it's close enough where most of the Carolina schools can drive over. And so it, you know, it lends itself to some really uh, positive things for, uh, for women's basketball in the ACC. It's just a, a little bit different this time and we'll see how it goes. So I have not ever asked this question of you before. And, and so uh, the, I have no preconceived notions of what the, the answer is, but when you're a lock, for the NCAA tournament versus on the bubble and needing some wins in the conference tournament, does it in any way change your approach and your attitude towards the conference tournament? That's a great question. Um, you know, it, it does um, really take some of the, the pressure off in some ways, uh, but at the same time, and even we think, you know, we'll, we'll probably be hosting, which is um, even more exciting but, you know, it's a pride thing. It's something that we want to go, and if, especially since we're the number two seed, we want to be able to, to go. And we haven't won an ACC championship uh, in the tournament. We've won regular season. But, um, you know, it just gives you a little bit more to, to fight for and at the same time without the pressure of having to do it to get to the NCAA tournament. Well, and, and as an old-school guy myself, and certainly because you started coaching when you were seven, <laughs> you're, you're still okay, exhibiting the old school. I, I I love hearing you talking about that pride thing because you know mm. any, anything you start 
and the old school says you want to finish. And, Absolutely. you know, you're in that tournament with the, with the opportunity to play three games and take home the hardware. Uh, it, it is significant. Absolutely. And, you know, especially when, you know, you've fought so hard during the course of the, the regular season uh, to achieve what they've achieved. Now, you know, you're going in, everybody feels like they've got a fresh slate, uh, but you got to show up and you've got to be uh, the dominant team that you were during the regular season. And you've got to play an opponent that you've defeated twice, uh, which is a similar scenario to a year ago. So talk about the matchup with Miami. Well, it's not Miami for sure. Miami okay. has to play Georgia Tech. And so uh, those those two teams both, um, you know, run a lot of different defenses. And, you know, they, they, they both like to try to uh, mix things up. Um, and we all know it's hard to beat a team three times in uh, in a season. Um, but having been in that situation last year and lost to Miami, uh, I think we hopefully have a little bit on our a chip on our shoulder about that if we happen to play Miami. Coach, the All ACC teams were announced uh, earlier this week, and there was also an announcement this morning. And you have several players uh, being honored, so uh, a couple of first teamers in in uh, Shaquilla Thomas and Leticia Romero, and then Shatrice White was named the sixth player of the year, which that's three straight years that it's been a Seminole who's won that award. So. Congratulations, and and I don't know if there's been has there been a year where you've had two first team all conference players. Perhaps there has been. You've had so many good teams. You know that's a great question. I, I we don't look at the, a lot of the individual accolades. Uh, to be honest, I they they don't mean a lot to me. I'm sure they mean a lot to the kids. Um, I think it honors the the other players on the team who have done a good job of putting them in a great situation. Uh, so, but what we're excited, and I think you know the. The ones I get most excited about are, are ones like Sixth Player of the Year when you've been selfless enough to come off the bench and perform at a high level. And, you know, the all-defensive team, when that comes out, uh, you know, that's another one that I think is really, really significant. And so uh, if we happen to get a Player of the Year, I think that's significant as well. How, how's the health of the ladies? Uh, I know you've had some uh, nagging uh, bumps and bruises over the last two or three ball games. Uh, how, yeah, we how's the health going in? We're a little banged up, but um, that, I think everybody is this time of year. It's not like we've had a, a long stretch to heal, but certainly uh, longer than a lot of teams. You know, when you think about the fact that the ACC tournament is starting t- today, I mean, that's I can't imagine if we had to turn around and play uh, today. So we do get that double bye, and that really helps us as far as uh, getting our kids really more healthy than, than maybe they were uh, last weekend. Coach, this one might be a little out of left field, and maybe we've talked about it before, but the women's tournament plays this weekend, and the men's tournaments are next weekend. And what you end up with is whenever you finish, uh, I guess an almost two-week break before NCAA tournament play begins, somewhere in there, 12 to 15 days. Uh, So it's sort of two-part. I'm wondering what teams do, and this is not unique to FSU. This would be any women's team. How do you you stay game-ready, if you will, and two, is there any scenario where you could schedule one of your regular season games after the ACC tournament, like a non-conference game? And I don't know if that's even permissible. Sure, sure. Um, well, it's not my favorite, uh, having two weeks. I, I think it's probably, uh, we liken it a little bit to the football bowl games, you know, where they have a lot of time in between. Um, you can take one of your regular season games and uh, place it in that two-week period. You're taking a risk, obviously, Um because you need the certain number of wins a lot of time to get into the ACC tournament and, or into the NCAA tournament. So you really want to have that win prior to the committee making that selection. Uh, there have been a couple teams that have done that in the past, um, and you know, I don't know if it's helped or not. But certainly every, a lot of people are, are dealing with that, and so it does make it a little bit more even playing field among the Power Five conferences anyway. Coach, you referenced it a little earlier, and, and, and all you can do is hope. You're not supposed to go out there and say, we deserve and we're going to, but I'm going to say you are. You're going to play your first two games of the NCAA tournament at home. Uh, I believe you'll do that. How how big of advantage, if any, and, and what does that mean and say about your program uh, to be able to do that? Well, I tell you, that, that means a ton. <laughs> you know, certainly having home, home court advantage uh, – any time is big, but in the NCAA tournament, it's huge. And we do a great job here in Tallahassee of, of putting on a great event. Um, our staff really takes a lot of pride and care in that. And uh, boy, it's, it's helped us in the past. And, you know, it's something where you have your home fans, you're sleeping in your own bed. 
Uh, and, you know, you, you get an opportunity to, you know, it's spring break this year. That's a little bit different. Uh, last, you know, usually we're in school so we can go to class. Uh, this year it will be during the, our spring break here at Florida State. And, Coach, there's a, uh, a viewing party, I guess, uh, for the selection show. I'll give you a chance to mention that, and then we'll let you get on your way and get prepared for the ACC tournament. Well, yeah, you know, there's a viewing party that Monday night, uh, 7 o'clock, and certainly uh, looking forward to you know, just the seatings and the selection and uh, the bracketing and, and where we'll be playing. And uh, all of that's a mystery to us until we see that at that 7 o'clock hour on Monday night. That's right. So join uh, Coach Sue and her Seminoles. That's at the Tucker Center on uh, Selection Monday for the women. Coach, we always appreciate a few minutes of your time. Travel safe, and uh, we don't want to see you back in town until late Sunday night, okay? Coach, <laughs> Coach Sue, how about this for an omen? How about this for an omen for, from the football guy? My high, my high school, Wildwood High School, last week, their girls' team won the state championship. Oh, what could be better? So now my Florida State women bring home a championship and I'm a dual champion. Good luck. Thanks so much. All right. Thank you, Coach Sue. Sue Semrau, uh-huh. uh, 20th year as the, the head coach at, uh, at Florida State, has done just a terrific job. Uh, and, again, so the ACC tournament this week, then you wait a week till Selection Monday, whatever that – I guess that's March 13th is the selection show we're talking about. And then they will – they're going to host, and it will be – I believe they'll either play Friday, Sunday – or Saturday, Monday. I think there's a one-day one stagger from the men's term. We'll come back and wrap things up on the front row right after this. Need no education. We don't need no thought control. The Front Row is brought to you by Cornerstone Tool and Fastener. Two locations to choose from, 1110 Stuckey Avenue and 3269 Crawfordville Highway. Call them at 580-1200 or online at ctf.nu. Now, here's Tom and Keith. Back on the front row, Tom and KJ wrapping things up. We haven't talked Florida State baseball. The Knowles gutted one out last night against JU, which was good because last week in the midweek, they let one get away. And they got gutted. They got gutted. That's a, that about sums it up against USF. And uh, that was a ninth inning collapse. Last night, they rallied in the eighth to beat JU. So what are the book on FSU so far? And it's early. The Knowles are 6-2. and two, Is that the starting pitching has been stellar. Um. Which is, a, I mean, really, really good. Four deep, counting Andrew Karp, who who pitched last night. Gave up a couple runs early, but had another good outing. Um, some of the old guard has taken a little while to get on track, but Cal Raleigh's starting to heat up a little bit more. But really, the the newcomers have been the top hitters so far. Again, it's non-conference. But I would say that the biggest two takeaways right now is they got to get Dylan Busby right because he's not hitting a lick. And, Regardless of what position he plays. And Jim Voiles, which ultimately will be first base, Jim Voiles uh, didn't work out in the closer role, but really hasn't worked out that well, period, thus far, through compared to what he was last year when he got you the 6th and 7th or the 7th, 8th inning time and again over the course of the season. Well, and, and for those of us that are baseball fans but we're not as plugged in as you, where is this whole philosophy about the closing, the closer is not of – the significance that the setup guy now is that changing philosophy that sixth, seventh, seventh, and eighth innings are are more important than the ninth inning. Well, I think the the answer is you got to get twenty seven outs. However, you get them. It's it's an interesting question because I happened to run into uh, Kevin Lynch last week, and you may remember Kevin pitched at FSU, and I didn't look it up, but he had like one hundred and twenty appearances or something. I mean, he was he was out there a lot. But we got it, and this was actually just after the USF, uh, maybe a day or two after that, when Florida State ran six guys out there and nobody could throw strikes. And he was just talking about it, it is so different from a mental standpoint in the ninth inning to to be throwing strikes and be aware of the situation. Compared, In other words, it's a lot easier to pitch the sixth or the seventh or the seventh and the eighth. So psychologically, and psychologically, maybe that's what the deal has been for Jim Voiles, but, uh, because he was really good sixth, seventh, and eighth last year was not real good when they gave him a chance in the ninth this year. One thing I, I do like, and it, it didn't go unnoticed by me, is that Florida State pulled the trigger on a change a lot more quickly than what I feel like they've done historically. Meaning, Voyle struggled. They didn't say, well, he's a veteran. Let's give him another weekend. Let's, let's wait three or four weeks, reassess kind of thing. 
they went ahead and just changed and said he's not our starter. They changed their weekend rotation, put a put Drew Parrish in the in the Sunday spot, and uh, came and said we're going to get one of our weekend starters and Drew Carlton to make him the closer right away after four games. So I thought that was a pretty quick and I not not in a panic sort of way, but in a you know we've done it you know the way I just described historically for a lot of years. Let's try something different. Obviously, it's way too early, uh, and you've got a, a club out of Michigan coming in this weekend, Oakland, that you would think you should be able to uh, – you've you've at least got a lot more practices in than they have from Michigan. Uh, but do you think uh, through the early going, what, two weeks, two and a half weeks into the season, um, overrated, underrated, right where they need to be? What what what? Where do you where do you put this? Club? I think it's still too early to tell, but I think this team is going to be really good. Now, if if Busby suddenly forgot how to hit, that changes things, especially while Mendoza's out. But assuming Busby gets a swing back and Drew Mendoza is as good as advertised, yeah, this is a really good team. I mean, their starting rotation is four deep. I think what they're going to do with Andrew Carp, and that's even counting. Uh, maybe it's a little too early to to judge on Drew Parrish, but if I had to guess, what they're going to do is see how Parrish fares as the Sunday starter leave Andrew Carp on Tuesdays until you get past those three games against Florida. You know, they'll still play mid-March, last Tuesday in March, and then like around tax day. So then you'll be middle of the season. You'll be done with your quote-unquote tough midweeks, and that's when you could make a call and say Carp's good enough to go in the weekend rotation. Or Parrish is tremendous, but we're going to use Carp now in long relief on Friday and, and Sunday or something like that. But I the point being that those Tuesday games against Florida are huge from an RPI standpoint and a who wins the season series standpoint because you want to host the Super Regional, not go to Gainesville at the end of the year. And and enough firepower on this club when you when you have to beat teams ten to nine and ten to eight. Yeah, there'll be enough fire. I mean, the lineup is going to be probably seven deep with really solid sticks. Again, assuming Busby hits and once Mendoza comes back in. I mean, it's as good a lineup coupled with you know, frontline pitching. Now they still have to find some answers in there in terms of the middle and long relief, but uh, at least they're tinkering a little bit right now. Cool. All right. We have uh, done all the damage we can do again in the 60 minute time slot. They won't let us have more time because the damage we inflict is enough in 60 minutes. So until next week, when you will be on location in New York, when we chat to do this show, doing it my way, we'll have to work out the specifics of that. Hopefully FSU's not playing a basketball game during the time that uh, we're supposed to be doing this if, show. If we're playing on Wednesday night, something terribly wrong happened. <laughs> that's, that's not even mathematically possible, is it? You play Wednesday morning. All right, he's Keith. I'm Tom. We'll talk to you again next week.